This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Yeah, we're back for another exciting, thrilling, heart-pumping episode of With You in the Weeds, and I have Austin with me. Hey, Father John. And Shay. Good to be with you, fellas. And today we're talking about, um, we're going to talk about the dark night of the soul. So we're in this series, Grounded <laughs> in Grace. We've talked about the gospel, justification, sanctification, and these are big $500 words, and in each episode we unpack them. Today we're going to talk about a topic that isn't quite as uplifting and feel-goody, um, but it's real in the Christian life. It's something that we all experience. Specifically, we're going to talk about how to survive when you go through periods of time when God seems to be absent. Like, where is he? Yeah, I, the, the, the title is Surviving the Silence of God. I like that phrase. Yeah, surviving it, because it brings a lot of confusion and disillusionment. And I have uh, clients, and we've all known people because we've been in the ministry, who will tell us over and over and over again, I just don't feel God's presence. So we're going to unpack what to do when we experience that. So here's what you can expect from today. It's going to be a little bit heavy, and if you live in the heavy world, then you'll be okay with this. You'll probably feel pretty comfortable. Um, But if you're like a Joel Osteen type, you know, I want to live my life now, brother, like, Everything God's promised me, I need to have now, and I'm up and to the right, and everything's great. This might seem like a Debbie Downer episode, but I would encourage you to hang in there with us and give us a chance, because you'll probably pick up some things to think about. And if, if you are not that type of person that likes to think about the negative, uh, this will help prepare you if and when you do bump into the negative or hit that wall. You know, John, the uh, sound of silence, Simon and Garfunkel, comes to mind right now. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite songs in high school. So when I think about this topic, I immediately think of that song. And Art Garfunkel is singing about lack of community, living in a time when pe- people are, everyone's talking and no one's listening to one another and everybody feels this just profound sense of loneliness. And uh, it really captured mm. it. it that song hit people right where they're at, touched their souls. And uh, so hopefully what we have to say today will also with res- will resonate with a lot of people. Well, I think it's the human condition. Mm-hmm. Like if you really um, sit by yourself long enough in silence, what will eventually come up is like, am I alone? Yeah, and I wonder too, and I know we're just kind of riffing here. I'm wondering based on a lot of reasons, especially how easy it is to distract ourselves and entertain ourselves. I mean, we're just inundated with stuff. Even that idea of sitting in silence, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of people out there, maybe even you listening, to where you don't even know what that's like. Because any hint, any whiff of like, I'm bored, it's quiet, 
I don't like the sounds. I got to go do something. I got to go watch a show. I got to go buy something. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is really kind of new territory for some people. And so if in that sense, uh, if that's you, I hope you give us a chance and maybe listen in on what this has been like from people and scriptures that we're going to get to of what it's like. Because it doesn't necessarily mean anything's wrong with your relationship with God. And we'll get there. Well, you know, a number of uh, years ago, there was a comedian on a talk show. I'm trying to remember his name, a really famous guy. But he talked about sitting at a stoplight. And he said, you know, people can't just sit at a stoplight. Louis C.K. Louis C.K., yep. Uh, And he said, you'll sit there at a stoplight. And if you sit there long enough and you're not looking at your phone, you feel this empty nothing like coming up inside of you. And everybody has it. I think the best comedians are very insightful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the silence of God? Uh, Let's break it down very, very succinctly. We we get into these scenarios where we know all the promises in our head. And if we've been walking with Jesus for any period of time, um, there's a gap between the head and the heart. And I hear it very frequently when clients will say, I know that God forgives me. That's kind of what he's supposed to do, and I know that's the truth, but I sure don't feel forgiven. That's the old head-heart gap. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the dark night of the soul, we're going to insert in here, and it might be fair to say that one of the features of the dark nights is we end up coming up with more questions than we have answers for, and that can be like a point of limbo or a no-man's land. What would you guys add to that? Well, one thing that I would talk about is just, or that I think about is just times that we all go through in life where we experience suffering and we can't understand it and understand what God is doing in it. And why is this happening to me kind of situations. And so it's that, um, you know, God, why is this pain and suffering? Why am I going through this? Why did this happen the way it is? And where are you in the midst of that? That's what comes to mind when we talk about the dark night of the soul. Hi, my name's John. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, a couple of things. One, the dark night of the soul and surviving the silence of God. I think those are synonymous terms. So you can, you know, copy and paste that. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, I think there's a spectrum of this experience um, that we'll get to in a bit, but just want to emphasize, just like you guys are saying, how normal it is uh, for those of us who are following Jesus to have a head-heart gap, to have doubts and questions and insecurities. You, you know, the way I think about this, to have the experience of feeling like, um, you know, the silence of God, it's like God's not on the other end of the phone or, you know, he's mm-hmm. not texting back. You know, you guys ever mm-hmm. texted somebody, you see those three little dots show up and, and then they just go away. And you're like, well, they were there, but they stop and, and you're left hanging. Um, hello, you know, where'd you go? That's in many ways and to different degrees, that's sort of the things that we're talking about. So all that to say, um, I hope you're hearing us loud and clear by now that if you're experiencing, you know, a dark night of the soul or the silence of God, you're in good company. Yeah. And, and can we throw in there this, there's a distinction between this and clinical depression. Yeah. Clinical mm-hmm. depression is going to be more biological. It's going to be more across the board in every category of life. In fact, sometimes when people are experiencing the silence of God, they actually enjoy other parts of their lives more than they enjoy thinking about God. So this is really kind of related to where is God like in my suffering? Yeah, that's a good, I think good that's distinction. A distinction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe one of the better known examples 
that we could use for this would be Mother Teresa, the Catholic nun. Uh, you know, very famous story, right? Lived in poverty with the Indians in uh, Calcutta. And it was an extremely long life. And she just basically poured her life out. And toward the end of her life, uh, this is what she wrote. She wrote, darkness surrounds me on all sides. I cannot lift my soul to God. No light or inspiration enters my soul. Heaven, what emptiness. Not a single thought of heaven enters my mind, for there is no hope. The place of God in my soul is blank. And here's the interesting thing. She experienced this for 25 years. And it was three years after her death that the Catholic Church waited until they uh, published her journals because they were embarrassed. Mm -hmm. They, she's been sainted in the Catholic Church, and they were embarrassed that her experience was like this, that, you know, where is God? You know, Jesus has abandoned me. Yeah, right. I, I think I read somewhere where there was only, she said only like one time in her life where she really, in some sense, sensed God's presence, that he was with her, and <laughs> that he loved her. Yeah, unbelievable. And, 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 uh, and so, yeah, it's just amazing that the church was embarrassed by her, but yet we see all throughout the Bible um, just honesty and, and, and people expressing those times of just the silence of God and um, the, those types of laments. That... Well, we don't want this to be our story. It's hard for us to think that this is what it's like to follow Jesus sometimes. Um, and there are other stories, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think of, of William Cowper, right, um, early 1700s in, in Britain, and— um, uh, you know, early on in his childhood, right, uh, loses his mother, uh, lost other siblings as well. I think his mom died when he was six years old. And uh, now he, he would be a guy, you know, that we would probably, you all, I think we would clarify him or, or categorize him as probably clinically depressed, right? But it's just great le looking at his life and seeing that here is a guy, a leader within the church, um, uh, who yet still struggled with depression and uh, experienced lots of the dark nights of the soul, so to speak, and ends up as uh, writing some of the greatest hymns in in church history. Um, and in fact, John Newton, um, who who wrote the famous hymn "Amazing Grace." Uh, became a friend of his and and was his pastor was Cowper's pastor mm. and uh would they would take long walks together and talk and write poetry together and and those sort of things and it was Newton who really helped Cowper get through his depression in in many times but mm. uh but he he's definitely he's a saint and yet he experienced the the silence of God in his life hey Shay uh you also we were talking about this those are some you know pretty well-known people examples to a lot as you were telling us the story of somebody that you knew very recently that kind of went through this as well. Are you willing to share that? Is that okay to bring up here? Yeah, I it wasn't it wasn't too re it was a, a while ago, but you know, um, being a pastor as long as I have, you know, you 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 hear a lot of different stories, and I remember um, a guy in our church, probably early forties, um, got some sort of cancer, and I can't even remember what it was now, and. He, uh, I, I remember meeting with him several times and we just had some very, very, he, he was very open and honest just about his feelings because he knew that he was going to die and that this cancer was going to take him and, and, uh, he was single 
And uh, I remember him saying to me one time, he said, you know, Shay, I, I just feel like I haven't accomplished much in this world. Um, I'm not successful in my job. I never married. I've, ha- I've had no kids. And here I am going to die. And I, I've prayed for healing. And, and, but this is going to be my end. I, I'm going to die. And I, I, of course, encouraged him. You know, he was a believer in the gospel and, and believer in Jesus and encouraged him with the hope of heaven. And, but, but definitely was a guy that just experienced the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And, and I just told him that's okay because that's, yeah. that's life, right? We're all going to end up, John, you say it well, we're going to end up all in the dust eventually, right? We're all going to die. Dirt nap. Yeah. Is yeah. what I think and, I call it. Yeah. yeah. And just to, to conclude that story, um, I ended up preaching his funeral at a venue downtown in Columbia that is now a place where weddings and celebrations uh, take place, but it used to be a, a funeral home. And, and it, <laughs> so every time I go there, I think I used to do funerals mm-hmm. here, but, but I, I did his funeral. And what was amazing is, is that how many people showed up mm-hmm. to his funeral and the impact that he had on people's lives that he had no idea. Uh, really, really kind of cool. And yeah, I'm putting a bow on the end of that story, but uh, he, he definitely yeah. struggled with yeah. with this with his suffering. What, and that's what, okay. What that story and those other stories of, you know, Mother Teresa and Cowper and all these is, it's not an either or. It's not either you're having the dark night of the soul, experiencing the silence of God, or you're a faithful believer. Those can go hand in hand. Yeah. You don't have to feel all the feelings that God loves me and I love God. Uh, you can be bereft of those and still be faithful and follow Jesus. Good. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. So the old hymn writers would call it not trusting in your frame of mind. Yeah. Like you can yeah. have a, and that's how they would characterize yeah. like things that we today might call mood disorders yeah. totally. or attachment wounds or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can have like a back and forth and in and out. Like Cowper, for instance. Yeah. yeah, if he was clinically depressed, he's going to see God and everything through that filter. Right. And if if that's the case, you have to distinguish, okay, this is my frame of mind. This is not ultimate reality. Right, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really important. Uh, it's important to tell these stories, but also these stories are true and powerful because they're grounded in the realities of Scripture. And so, yeah, so we'll do uh, three specific examples from, from Scripture. I'll, I'll start uh, with the first, kind of a bigger picture example, and that's the Israelites, God's people. So pick it up in Genesis 12, where God first speaks to Abraham, and Abram, technically, uh, at this time. In Genesis 12, uh, 1 to 3, he says, to Abram uh, to go from his country in Mesopotamia to the land of Canaan. And the verse says, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, and I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you, make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. And that's the promise. Sounds sounds pretty good, right? I'm in. Sign me up. Uh, well, the rest of the book of Genesis, in a lot of ways, essentially documents what happened. It, it didn't go perfectly, you know, but God, in the end, lived up to his promise. And the book of Genesis ends with the Israelites going down to Egypt. There's a ton of people, and God had really was faithful to his promise. And we're thinking, all right, we're going to keep the good times rolling down in Egypt. Well, if you know the story, that's not exactly what happened, right? Um, God's people, that they were enslaved for 400 years. Now, think about that. 400 years. You want to talk about a silence of God. You know, imagine that head heart gap the Israelites would be struggling with generationally. 
you know, it's essentially like, no, no, wait a minute, hold on. God, you said you'd make us this great nation and bless us, but the exact opposite is happening right now for 400 years. Now, maybe there's some good times here and there, but by and large, you're enslaved by another people. What's going on? I can't imagine what that would have been like. That, I think, is a big picture example of a silence of God. Yeah, it's almost like when God doesn't make sense with God, when you compare what's happening to what he said, and that can create quite a bit of confusion. Okay, here's another one. Um, We'll get into the weeds a little bit and read a verse from the book of Lamentations, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. This is the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, known as the weeping prophet. Mm -hmm. And as I read it, listen for how Jeremiah describes his experience with the silence of God. Quote, God drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all people, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has saturated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. Jeez. I mean, think of chewing gravel. Hmm. No, thanks. That's such a, an image of destruction and distaste. You would just not even want to do that. And he made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So is my hope from the Lord. Now, man, that is raw. That's hard stuff. Yeah, and and another example that biblical example that comes to mind is just Psalm eighty eight, and I, I know you guys are familiar with it. But you know what's kind of interesting, you know, before I read a few verses from that Psalm, is we always think right a good story, a good sales pitch. You always have a crisis, and then you always have the solution. You put a bow on the end of it, and you just kind of tie it up nicely, and. Um, we, we like those happy kind of endings, right? And, and in fact, when we read different, a lot of the Psalms, that's what we find, right? Psalm 42, which speaks to someone who is Asaph, right, I believe, right? Or is, no, actually, it's the son of Korah, and I'm not sure it's Asaph, but he's depressed, and why is my soul so downcast? But I know that I will worship the Lord again. And so he puts, he, he, he comes, to, he gets to a good place eventually, yeah. theologically, in his thoughts about God. Or we think of Asaph and Psalm 73, and he's, he's envying other people who are um, the, the wicked, and they seem to have no troubles in life. And, and then at the very end, he says, whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And, and, and so he gets to a good place. Well, Psalm 88 is so different. There's, there's no bow on hmm. the end of it. It is just, it's, it's often referred to as the, the, uh, when we talk about the dark night of the soul theologically, it's the psalm that people think of. Mm. Um, it, it, it's a psalm of lament. Um, you probably are not going to hear this in a church service in, in modern day times, but, but God meant this psalm for us. And, and you might be asking the question, can I just be honest with God when I go through suffering that I don't understand? Can I just express my heart and my anger and my anguish and, and, and talk to him about his silence? Is that okay for a Christian to do? Well, Psalm 88 is the answer to that, to that question. And it, and it begins this. He starts out well. Uh, I'll read it. He says, O Lord, 
the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry out before you. And so he has good theology. He knows that God is his is salvation. Um, but then he, he, he expresses what he's going through. As he says, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I will set I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Um, and, and then he goes on and he talks about um, that, that, God, I can't, I can't feel you. I, can't, I, can't, I don't sense your presence. You, you've turned your face from me. And then he even blames God for his situation. He, he says, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken my companions and loved ones from, from me. So he expresses he's alone, right? He's, he's missing his friendships. And then, and then listen, guys, how he ends the psalm. He says this, um, the darkness is my closest friend. Hmm. And, and so he doesn't end well, right? He just sits in silence with God and um and expresses his anguish to God because of the silence of God. And he's saying, God, where are you in, in the midst of my troubles? And um, I, I, I think it's, this psalm is so good because it, it just gives us voice to be able to express what we often feel to God. Is it okay to just be honest to God about how we feel? Well, well yes, it is. And I want to come back a little bit later and make a few more points from this psalm um, that I think helps to to that we can learn from it. But it's another psalm that we see of just the silence of God. Yeah, and the psalmist is very much in the present moment, yeah. saying, "This is what's really happening with me." And I th- I find a relief in that if I can be honest in the present, like this is the mood I'm in, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm struggling with. There's a relief that comes knowing I can be known and be me in that place. Yeah. So I hope as you hear that, you know, if you're there, uh, you're in good company. If you're not there, you might one day be. And so if and when you are, know know that that's okay. Um, You know, the next question is, how will we know if we're actually there, if we are feeling and suffering the silence of God? Well, we're going to answer this question when we get back from our break. So stay with us. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. All right, we're back. We've talked about what the silence of God is, looked at some stories, scriptures. Um, but now we want to talk about what are some specific signs and markers that you are going through a period of time where you're experiencing the silence of God. There are several of these, and I took them from a guy who I've followed over the years, John Coe from Rosemead School of Psychology. And he's got his PhD in philosophy. He's a very serious believer. And he studies like uh, spiritual formation and dark night of the soul. And I thought these were really good. So these might help you figure out where you are. So here, here they are. One, a deep sense of your own inadequacy of character. In other words, what I'm going through right now, I cannot pull this off out of my own energy. I, I don't have it together. Check. 
That's for me anyway. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) The second one is basically losing steam or you might say uh, losing heart, minimal motivation. Uh, Third one, a distrust in the promises you've held on to most of your life, promises that hold out some kind of promise to satisfy your heart, a new sense that this life, this is what you're growing into, kind of a new sense that this life it's not an adequate home anymore. A dissatisfaction with things we previously thought life would give us. Uh, the fourth one, your own goodness, your own character is not enough anymore. Uh, you feel a sense of, man, even though I've got my theological map together and I've been a pretty good person, I still feel very incomplete. Uh, fifth one, ministry, if you're involved in it, might be good, it might be functional, other people might be being helped, but it doesn't satisfy your soul anymore. There, there's an emptiness there. Six, a deep dissatisfaction in theological knowledge alone, as well as being dissatisfied with our general knowledge and wisdom base. In other words, no matter how much I know, my heart is still unsatisfied. Uh, there's a passage in Ecclesiastes, God has said eternity in our hearts. And we'll never be ultimately satisfied. So if you're going through a period of the silence of God, you're bumping into that probably. Uh, Number seven, a sense you may not be loved for who you are now that you are becoming more aware of your inadequacy. Hmm. Like, I really don't have it together. Will Mm -hmm. God still love me? And then the final one is a deep knowledge in the core of my being that I'm really more filled with myself and my own self-confidence than I am with God and his presence. Yeah, all those are, man, those are really, really helpful. Again, like I said, I'm pegging myself several times here. A couple things strike me. One, I just wonder, again, I mentioned this earlier, if you haven't really, if you're listening, you haven't really felt some of these because you're just so scared of what that may be like and you got to go go somewhere else, I think that's a fairly common experience. Mm-hmm. And this might even play out like, let's just even say in a relationship or like a marriage, I'm feeling dissatisfied. I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. Am I, yeah, maybe even the feelings of love toward another person. What does this mean? Does this mean I have to leave? Does this mean I need to go find someone else? I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of the secular cultural narrative. But I love this here because this this guy you mentioned, I think you said his name is Co. John Co. John Co. Yeah. Serious believer. He's thinking about this and he's carving yeah. out a space to say, guess what? You don't necessarily need to go anywhere. This might be one of those times where you and all of us need to experience and sit in some of these things. Um, so that's the one thing that comes to mind. Here's the other thing. I like um, that, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I would add a little bit of a counseling or clinical framework to those things because, you know, those eight things you just mentioned, I don't think it's as simple as you're experiencing them or not. I think there's kind of a spectrum. So here's here's what I would add to that. Um, the, the frequency, severity, and persistence. So kind of put those those lenses on as you think about some of those things. Here's what I mean by those three. Frequency. How often are these things happening? Is it once a month that you're kind of losing motivation, feeling inadequate? Or are we talking every day? You know, the more often it happens, the more severe or serious it might be. Um, severity. How serious are you feeling these things? You know, is there just uh, depressing feelings? It's kind of maybe like a three out of 10, a four out of 10. Or are we talking crippling 
the eight out of 10, 10 out of 10, you just can't get out of bed. Um, quick story for me. Uh, I remember I would call this for me a dark night of the soul. I went through a period where I questioned everything. And I mean, everything like, how do I know I'm sitting in my chair? I would be reading the Bible. I remember this. I was just, just graduated college, started a new job teaching, and I'm trying to read my Bible in my basement. And I'm one part of me is reading and another part of me is like, how, how do I even know that this book is here? Hmm. I'm sitting in a new teacher orientation and they're telling me something and I'm going, uh, am I even here? I mean, it was so paralyzing. Those were severe, severe questions that I was having. Um, hmm. And it lasted for a couple, two or three weeks. I, I'll just never forget that. That was a sign for me, though, okay, this is pretty severe. Um, third one is persistence. How long are these lasting? You know, the longer that they last, the more severe this silence or this dark night of the soul might be. Again, th these are these are meant to help you figure out, you know, where you're at, how severe might this be in your own life? Yeah, Austin, I, I think that's really good and helpful. Um, I, I was also thinking about something else. It seems like, right, when, when you're a new believer, a new Christian, you, you know, everything is so exciting. You, you know, you're learning all of these new things about God and and there, there's this happiness and joy, and, and you sense his presence, and, and you know, er, you know it, when you pray and maybe when you read your Bible. And it seems like the longer, though, you go in the Christian life, and um, maybe because you had expectations that, wait, I thought I became a Christian. My life is supposed to, you know, go well and the way I want it to go. And then you realize that's not reality, right? And... Um, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a fallen world, and there's a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. And so I think as we go throughout the Christian life, the, the more pain and the more suffering you see, um, uh, you maybe go through times where you do sense God's absence, and, and that silence of God becomes more common in your life. I think that's just part and parcel with just growing older. It doesn't mean that you're growing less mature in your faith. I think it's those times um, God uses to help draw us closer to him and to trust him even in the times of his silence. Yeah, I think sometimes when we go through really difficult things spiritually and we question God's presence and His, we, we sense more of his absence, I think that can be some of the deepest work of the Spirit in the heart to root us and ground us in God's love. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But it reminds can, me of Can I say this, John? I, yeah. I think when you when you when we go through those dark times of suffering, we can't we don't know why. And we still cling to God in in the midst of his silence. I think that's the moments that are our faith shines the, the brightest. We might not think that, right? We think it's well, it's when I'm sharing my faith and I've led someone to Christ or I'm loving my neighbor, those kind of things. But it's it's maybe clinging to God in, in the midst of his silence is where our faith is shining the, the greatest. Yeah, I really like that. You know, with some of my clients uh, who really struggle with a lot of deep, deep suffering, I tell them that when you're going through this, I want you to fight with God because that's an expression of faith. You're refusing to go someplace else, and you're saying, God, you are my only hope. You have to bless me. That's exactly it's right. It's like Jacob wrestling with God. And the opposite of that is the more dangerous one, which is indifference. 
Yeah. And even guys, as you're talking, I know we've got one more question to answer, but just this thought came to me, you know, I have this assumption and maybe even desire that for to go through this dark night of the soul, to survive the silence of God life, I've got to completely separate. I got to get by myself and let me just wrestle and think through and experience all the feels. But, but a lot of times I don't think life, I don't think God gives us that opportunity. I mean, let's be honest, we're, 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 you might be parenting toddlers, or you might have a teen that yelled at you because it's the first day of school, or maybe you're in a job right now that you really don't want to be in, or you've got some people you're training and you just don't like them, and you're feeling all these things right in the middle of life. I, I don't necessarily have anything to say other than that's normal, and I get it, and maybe we need to wrestle and struggle in the midst of life, and that's what makes it harder, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, that's just what God has for us right now. Yeah, and you know also. what I don't like is this phrase that gets thrown around, like when I grew up in the evangelical world, church world, it's, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, mm-hmm. no, no, sir. Ain't wrong. The <laughs> very definition of a trial is it's more than you can handle. It yeah. overloads your system. Yeah. yeah. So I did, you know, I, I said we got another question and, and I kind of threw it out there, but I'd love to hear you guys, and maybe, John, you can kick us off. What might... God be doing in and through his silence. And I say might, 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 because on the one hand, I have no idea. God's doing a thousand things. But if you could give it your best hunch, what would you say God might be doing? Yeah. As soon as we think we've got it figured out what God is doing, he's not. Um, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we can't always know the specifics. Uh, but I do think that there are two broad things that we can hang some things on that are more the pattern of the Christian life. I think God takes us through these dark valleys for a couple of big, broad reasons. One, and it's pretty clear out of Deuteronomy 8, uh, he develops in us a spiritual hunger and he basically strips out of our hearts our self-sufficiency. So in Deuteronomy 8, God tells us that he let his people go hungry in the wilderness specifically for the purpose of testing them and humbling them to see what was in their heart. Did they love the world or did they love God? And he fed them manna, uh, his own food, not their own, to see whether they would depend Hmm. upon him or their own ingenuity. Yeah, and this testing isn't like pass-fail. This is testing like refining fire, purge away all of the things that aren't pure and good and strong, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the best definitions a mentor gave me of a test, it's like giving a test to a child or a student to see where they need to continue learning and where their knowledge is deficient or how far they've come. Mm. And so it's revelatory. And um, I think also it, it, it points back to something we've been saying on this podcast is, and, you know, it's the Westminster Confession is God's most glorified when we're most satisfied in him, right? Uh, or something to that effect. I don't know if I quoted it exactly right, but I think that's what he's he's purging their heart. He's wanting them to build their lives upon him and find their satisfaction in him and not the, the, the gifts that he gives us. Well, you know, John Coe, I mentioned him earlier, he says that God in a dark night of the soul, when he seems silent, he's stripping the believer of vices and virtues, mm-hmm. things we struggle with. And also, I can't depend upon my moral character anymore. I have to depend upon God alone. That's really good. All right. The second big, broad thing I think we can hang a peg on is God is rooting and grounding us in his love. Take it right out of Ephesians 3. 
Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's going inner being, Holy Spirit needs to strengthen us. And I think it was either, um, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones, the old British preacher, who said that the reason Paul prayed this way is because if you're taking Jesus deep into your heart, you need the strength of the Holy Spirit to tolerate what he might show you and to trust him when he takes you there. Okay, so strengthens you with power through his spirit in your inner being, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So I think big, broad picture is he's trying to integrate into our lives through these dark nights the love of God for God's sake, not the love of God for his blessings. Yeah, yeah. And that, that takes a lifetime. And that's, that's so helpful. You know, the other thing, um, John, I think you mentioned it, and I'm so glad you did, God does give us more than we can handle. Yeah. And we're not just doing that to be, you know, cool or cutesy. I mean, this is coming straight from the Bible. So so Paul talked about his experience as an apostle. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he says this about he and the rest of the apostles. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Mm-hmm. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. They were not ready to handle what was going on in their lives. But... That was to make us rely, and this is the verse continues, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. And I think that fits in that first kind of big, broad category. Paul and the apostles were moved to trust more in God, not in their own virtues, not in the vices, the thing that they struggle with. And so whatever the reason, and again, (laughs) don't know exactly why, but whatever the reason, if those feelings of the dark night of the soul, of the silence of God, if they never go away, that does not mean that you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean you're not loved, valued, and cared for by God. Lynn said this in our planning meeting. Uh, if it never goes away, it'll be okay. And, so, and yeah. it's so great. I'm so glad she said that. You know, it's she's learning. a wise woman. She's a wise Do you know how lucky you are, Shay? <laughs> Just kidding. But, you know, learning to accept that there's some brokenness, some hardship that's just not going to go away this side of heaven. And that's that's contrary to a lot of our cultural messages, to a lot of stuff on, you know, Facebook and Instagram and social media about what, you know, the Christian life is like up and to the right. It might be, but then again, it might not be. Austin, that's really good. Shay, give us a bow on this story that's not a bow. Yeah, I, I think what we've been talking about here, and, uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier, I think, and in, in when we read Psalm 88 is it's okay to be just honest with God about what we're feeling and um, and maybe suffering that we're going through in life that makes no sense to us. That's that's a good place to be um, in the midst of suffering. Let it let it um, in the silence of God. Let it drive you to God in in just honest dependence upon him. I mean, that's what, that's what happened with Job, right? He didn't understand why this was happening, but he clung to God. He held on to God. There was kind of a bow at the end of his life and that everything was restored to him. Um, 
Psalm 88 is a little bit darker. Um, this guy, he gets nothing back. He knows he's going to die, yeah. right? And, um, and, but, but yet he, he, he still clings to God in faith, trusting that God does love him and God does care for him. And of course, you know, as Christians, we can, we know so much more as about Jesus and, and heaven that's to come and, and that sort of thing. So even if these guys in the Old Testament, even their, their view of heaven and the afterlife was, is not as developed as ours, you know, the point of those those stories, Job and and the writer of Psalm eighty eight is is cling to God in the midst of the of the darkness, even if you're not rewarded this side of heaven. Speaking, yeah. speaking of that, um, as we're going to end this episode, John, you told, and I think it's a great story where you actually did this really well. Would you be willing to share that with with our listeners? So the story you're talking about was probably twelve years ago, and I had uh, some heart issues. And I, I kind of sailed through one surgery and thought, oh, this is no big deal. I just had some stents put in, but I have a history of congenital heart disease in my family. So I have a permanent like heart issue that I have to deal with. Second time around, I had to go back in and that's when it really hit me that, hmm. oh my gosh, this is pretty serious. And I was facing a surgery later in the morning but I was by myself in a hospital room, a very cold, sterile room. It was four o'clock in the morning. And for the first time, it hit me that I might be standing before God, like in a few hours. And I was plunged into this dark place of recounting all of my failures and feeling shame over questioning whether or not I was a Christian whether or not God would love me, because by golly, holy buckets, like I knew the gospel and I was a senior pastor and I loved Jesus, but here I was scared to death to stand before God Almighty. And I started thinking, man, my life has not been that great. And I started confessing sins like crazy and I was filled with anxiety and I was telling God, I. I can think of so many reasons why I don't deserve to be in heaven. And then the shame of you should know better because you know the gospel. And the enemy kind of did a number on me. Well, if you're not sure you know the gospel and you're not having joy right now, if you're going to go be with Jesus, then maybe you really don't. And maybe you've been a hypocrite all your life. And I was caught like in that swirl. I was looking at my own character, my own track record. And out of desperation, I called an Irish pastor, a friend of mine, um, one of the best friends I've ever had. And I left a message on his phone. It was like 4.30 in the morning. I said, Ewan, this is what's happening to me. Uh, I just need you to know and want you to pray for me. He calls me around 5 in the morning. He says, Joan, and I've got to do the accent because it <laughs> I really, was waiting for it. it I really, it, I'm glad it's here. It makes it land. <laughs> and, and I needed a voice to tell me this. But if you ever need a voice to convince you of God's grace, it's got to be Scottish or Irish. Sure. Yeah. He goes, John, he goes, don't you know, it's not your faithfulness to Jesus that saves you. It's his faithfulness to you. You're going to be fine. And at that point, I was lifted because I realized my faith is not my track record. It's a gift from God to me. 
by Jesus. But that set me into studying death and the fear of God and just this whole idea that people have that as you get toward the end of your life and you're going to go be with Jesus, it's just this joyous thing and, you know, you're going to be so excited. And, you know, I think if I would have gotten to death's door, I probably maybe would have had that. But the old reform thinker John Calvin in his institutes has a section on how normal it is for the believer to fear death when they're in the throes of death. And some people fear it more than others, some believers, because some are weaker in frame. Like everybody has a different like temperament and history. He said, but it's very normal to fear death and to fear standing before God because he is holy. But the life transforming truth that I got from that was when he went on and said, you will be judged and you should fear that. But the judgment for the believer is mercy. It fell on Jesus. It will be mercy. Yes, yeah. John 10, and he will judge you. And it's, it's an earth-shattering thing. It'll shake your timbers. But yeah. the judgment will be, hey, guess what? I'm giving you mercy. Come be with me. Yeah. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his yeah. godly ones yeah. because he gets us back. He yeah. wants us. Yeah. But that was really a dark mm-hmm. night for me because it shook a lot of things that I had assumed and it plunged me into a, a new ex- existential sense of, I have got to trust Jesus's faithfulness to me. I'm so got, glad you told that story. I kind of got into, I, the, into it. No, 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 it was so good. Thank you for just your openness and honesty with that and, and, and great theology um, mixed through that story and, and uh, the, the theology that got you through. I, you know, the verse that comes to my mind that I cling to um, when— Things don't look good. Things look dark. Uh, God, are you with me? Do you love me? It's it's the it's the Hebrews thirteen five. You know, keep your life free from the love of money, the manna. Uh, why God? Because God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And uh, I, I I just have to cling to that verse all the time. Just when I I don't sense God's presence, I go through dark times. I never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Um, because of Jesus. And um, it, it, I think um, it, it, we need those kind of promises to hold on to in the midst of the, the dark night of the soul. Yeah, man, I hope that stuff's true. Yeah, because, I, can't, I can't say it any better. And so yeah. I hope as, as you've hung in there with us today, you've taken something away to where you feel normalized and you feel okay where you are. And you remember, let's all leave with that Irish uh, <laughs> you in, in our head, Jesus has faith for us. It's not our ability to believe in the gospel, yeah. but God's ability to hold on to you. Yeah, thanks for listening to the series. You're getting our heart and our passion for why we do what we do and how we do it. And it's really born by the love of Jesus for us and his grace. So next episode, we'll talk again. Thanks, guys. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.